good to rejoice in you, Father, because you are always good and compassionate and merciful. And when you correct us, you do not ever really deal with us according to our sins. But as a loving Father, you correct us, you redirect us. I pray tonight, Lord God, that we would be just so encouraged in you that we can't wait to get home to fellowship with you alone. I pray your blessing upon your word tonight. Your word that goes forth and never returns to you void, but always accomplishes the purpose for which you sent it. Send it out tonight, Father, that we might have peace, that we might have security, that we might be encouraged to seek your face with our whole heart and to intercede for our brothers and sisters in Christ, those who are suffering and those, Father, who are just close to us, Lord, no matter what they're going through, lifting them up to you because you care for them and for us. And then may we just spend time looking at you and saying, you know, it's awesome to be with someone who is all-powerful. How wonderful it is to fellowship with someone who knows everything there is to know about us, and yet you still love us. You enjoy being with us, Lord. So open the word, open our eyes, Father and Holy Spirit. Please manifest yourself here strongly in the love between the saints. I pray this now in Jesus' name, and everyone said, Would you greet someone from a distance, please? Good evening, everybody. Thanks for coming out. Thank you for tuning in. Um, I have a few announcements that I need to go through first of all. We made an announcement on Sunday that somebody from our fellowship had been exposed to COVID, but that is not true. We found out that uh, the person that came down with the coronavirus had been exposed to it long after our fellow worshiper had been in their presence. Good to know, they're good to go, and uh, you can come back now, okay? <laughs> I have a word about our masks policy. If you can't get something from Marvel Comics, don't bring any at all. No, I'm kidding. Um, the elders have determined that masks would be preferred as per CDC recommendations, the Center for Disease Control, but they will not be mandated, okay? So if you want to come and worship with us and not wear a mask, you're welcome to do so. And if you have any comments, concerns, gripes, groans, or moans, see Dave, Larry, or Roy. And if you really want to get into it, talk to Vince. All right. Our worship times on Sunday mornings are at 9.30 a.m. I'm sorry for so many of you that didn't know that and you showed up at 10 and we were ready to go out and get donuts and you're just walking in. Um, 9.30 a.m. and if that changes, we'll let you know. If we grow in attendance where we are full, 
while keeping our social distancing policy in place, then we'll go to two services, but we'll keep you posted, okay? So it begins at 9.30 a.m. And I have a praise report. Um, one of the young men that I have the honor and privilege of mentoring, Marcus Flores, um, he called me and asked where he should start reading the Bible. Been ministering to this young man for about a year now. And uh, this is uh, an awakening within him to want to know more about God. I can see it in his eyes. There's a hunger and there's a thirst. I love that. We got him a, a youth Bible, a New Living Translation, and we meet every Saturday morning now. We, we throw a football around for a while, <clears throat> and then we uh, get into the Word of God. Here's a text that he sent me this morning. He said, remind me to ask you about God this week. <clears throat> I have some stories to tell you about him helping me with my week. How awesome is that? I mean, you know, it's not a Red Sea parting, okay? Uh, he's not uh, bench pressing 900 pounds now. But he's loving the Lord, and that's always the way it starts. That hunger and that thirst for God's word. Perhaps it's been a while since you have felt that hunger and that thirst. Um, I'm praying that after tonight's service, you will regain it and you'll get into the word. So <clears throat> let's uh, have a word of prayer and then we'll, have, we'll get into our message this morning. We're going to be in the book of First Thessalonians. First Thessalonians, okay? We're going to be in chapter 1. Father, this is your word. We are honored and privileged to have it before us. And we give you thanks that your Holy Spirit is here to help us make sense of it. So indeed, Lord, help us to make sense of it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Um, are you sitting down? I read this this morning in, in uh, another book I was reading that wasn't related to Thessalonians. And there is an old pastor, Calvin Miller, who was also a professor at a college. And he said, and I, how dare he say this, most problems are not solved by listening to sermons. Okay. Having answers is not essential to living. Hmm. I don't know about that. Here's the quote in full context. The sermon, no matter how sincere, cannot solve these unsolvable problems. So if the sermon is not a problem solver, where do we go for solutions? Our need for specific answers is dissolved in the greater issue of the Lordship of Christ over all questions those that have answers and those then don't. No doubt you're facing issues tonight. Some of you are. All God's children got issues. Have you noticed that? If you're not, you will have. There are some things you should know, and so please listen carefully tonight with ears that open to your heart. I say that often 
because I want your heart to overflow with the joy of the Spirit. And I believe that is God's aim for all y'all tonight. Okay? Amen? Amen. All right, come on. You're going to have to give the pastor a bone every once in a while. So, 1 Thessalonians, last week we had an introduction to it. This is probably the very first letter Paul ever wrote. And it was to this church in Thessalonica where he established it and had everything it needed to know within three weeks. How long have you been walking with the Lord? Stop smiling, Dottie. <laughs> How long have you been walking with the Lord? Have you got it all figured out yet? Paul gave them everything they would need to know in three weeks. At least that's the thought here. But he writes this letter to encourage them. And as I told you last week, this problem, this problem, this church doesn't have any major issues. Okay, it's a, it's a happy church. It's a good church. This is a fun book to teach from. So in verse 1, Paul and the crew greet the saints, the believers in Thessalonica. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, very simple, very traditional greeting of Paul. But if you're paying attention, there's a lot to unpack in that first verse. First of all, there's Silvanus, Silvanus and Timothy. Silvanus is also known as Silas in the Bible. And he was a companion of Paul. He traveled with Paul on his second missionary journey, which was the journey that established this church. And he also hung out with Paul in the Philippian jail. You remember that whole story, right? Um, and when Paul first came to Thessalonica, Silas came with him. So the Thessalonians would know Silvanus or Silas very well. The other gentleman in the crew is Timothy, who was also a trusted companion and associate of Paul, protege of Paul, his own son in the Lord, he'd call him. And he accompanied Paul on many of his missionary journeys. Listen, the work of the kingdom is to be ideally done by a team of people. It's called the church. We don't do this all by our Selves. We do this as a group. Paul is known as the man who established Christianity to Western civilization, right? That's pretty heady, but he didn't do it alone. When I go and minister to other people in other places and I share my gifts and talents and abilities with them, Part of all y'all go with me because you're teaming with me in this endeavor. It's always done by teamwork. The letter to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, some of your versions have, that's the second part of verse one, right? Some of your versions have in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ, anybody? Right. That got my attention because that's not the way I would have worded that if I were writing this. I would have said to the church of God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ in Thessalonica or Thessalonica. 
But that's the opposite of the way it's written. You guys keep smiling because I'm pronouncing that word wrong. I'm telling you, you're getting inside my head. You're freaking me out, all right? <laughs> Stop it, Sherry. <laughs> to the church of God, excuse me, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a preposition of location in the Greek. It means to tell you where something is, okay? Where's my tape measure? It's in the drawer. The preposition in tells you where it is located, all right? We have another preposition of location like the word on. Where is my tape measure? It is on the counter. So here it's saying the church of the Thessalonians in God and in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is where the church is located. Okay, are you confused yet? Well, this is a common refrain of Paul. He repeats this line and variants of this line over 84 times throughout the New Testament. In God, in Christ. Let me show you why this is important. I'm going to give you an object lesson. Can the camera see me up here, Vinny? Yes. All right. I have here a series of tubs. And this guy. This tub here is all y'all. It's you, okay? I'll draw a picture of you for you so you'll know it's you, okay? By the way, this isn't original with me. I saw Dave Platt do this and I thought it was just so cool. All right, this is my wife. <laughs> Payback. Okay, big smile. Glasses and hair. All right. This is my Sherry, and we're going to use her. All right. She's beautiful. That's why I married you, baby. All right. <clears throat> when Sherry was a little girl, and then again when she was in college, she little girl, she received Christ as her savior and then rededicated her life to Christ later on. Right, so far? All right. So this little piece of plastic, this is Jesus. All right. Where is Jesus living now? In Sherry? In Sherry. Located in Sherry. Got it so far? All right. Now, this next tub right here, the bigger tub, is who do you think? If you're following the analogy. Oh, come on. 
Don't be afraid. I mispronounce words. This is God the Father. Okay? All right. Okay. Wait a minute. I made I knew I blew it. This is the second person of the Godhood, which is thank you, universal right answer, Jesus. God Jesus, all right? There it is. All right, now here's sharing with Jesus inside of her. And now she's also going to be where? In, in Christ. Got it? For a minute there, I'm wondering, why did I get four tubs? <laughs> All right. Now, the big tub. Who is it? God the Father, right? <laughs> All right, just write his name right there. Let me take this out. Don't need it. So where is Sherry and Jesus? They are in God. All right. Get the analogy so far? All right. This is the adversary. Right? Didn't know he looked like that, did you? <laughs> All right. Whatever's messing with you, he's probably got some of his hand in it. I mean, there's just life that happens. And then there's things that just keep messing, mostly with you up here. Mostly with you up here. Causing you to fear. <clears throat> Be afraid. Okay? Causing you to second guess God. But there's a problem. What is it for him? What's the problem for him? Can't get to you. Because you are in God and in Christ. Okay? Now, if God, like he did with Job, allows him entrance past him, let's say, okay? Past his door. Can you see over there, Kim? I'm sorry. There's still, he's got a problem. Right? <laughs> I got a problem. He still can't really get to you because Jesus is answering the door for you. He had a problem with Jesus on the cross. He thought he had him, right? But three days, Jesus rose again, stomped on his head, gave him a concussion, and he still can't get to you. Now, the only way that he actually could mess with you is if you got out of that box, this box, where Jesus has you covered. You're not going to get Jesus out of in you. 
That makes sense? But you can walk out, you can step outside, like Frodo, right? He put the ring on, became invisible, put himself visible to the spiritual world. And you can do that, and then all of a sudden, this whatever it is, raccoon, bear, will be all over you. But you can always go back. That's the good thing. But you can never get to Christ that is in you, and that's your security. Do you see how that works? All right? For me, this is like, thank you, God. Thank you, God. He can't get you. Let's just stick him here like that. How's that? Whole night, all right? Whatever comes at you, your adversary to get at you, is going to have to encounter God the Father, and then he's going to have to deal with Christ. But Christ will always be in you, and you will always be secure in him. Turn to Romans 6.11. Let me show you how this fleshes out, how you put shoe leather in the Christian's practical walk. By the way, Isabella, did you like what I did with the, that was pretty cool? Yeah, you can have it if you want it. We'll name him Satan. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> Romans 6.11. And remember, there's, there's some 80 verses like this. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God, where? In Christ Jesus our Lord. So that means the practice of sin cannot dominate you, not really unless you let it, because you are in God, in Christ. Romans 6.23. And this is just a few examples, by the way. Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Where? Come on, say it, everybody. In Christ Jesus our Lord. So, fear of your eternal fate, which is something your adversary will mess with your head about, can't come at you because you are in God and in Christ. Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are where? Thank you. In Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. How many of us get buried with condemnation, guilt, and shame because Satan is messing with our heads? We have asked for forgiveness of our sins. So now Satan can't come at you because you are in God, in Christ. And let's just get to, to the bottom line here. Let's just get to the verse that summarizes the whole thing. Romans 8, 37. Start right there. 
in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, that Satan and demonic forces, nor things present, nor things to come, whatever you're going through now, whatever's coming in the future that so many people worry about, neither height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us, separate you from the love of God, which is where? In Christ Jesus our Lord. If you're taking notes, put this one in the margin next to that whole section. Nothing can come at you. Nothing can come at you. You are in God in Christ. That's a fact. That's a fact. And even when you don't feel it and you're worried about it and you're spinning your emotional wheels, it doesn't change the truth. You're wasting emotional energy by allowing yourself to continue to worry about it. Nothing can come at you. You are in God in Christ. No matter what level of cancer you are diagnosed with, no matter what people in this world do or try to do, no matter what happens in your job, no matter what the world throws at you, you are in Christ and you are in God and you are secure. Right? Would you say that I am secure in Christ? I am secure in Christ. Thank you. Hebrews 13.5. Hebrews 13.5. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. It's another way of saying that I will provide for all of your needs through my riches in Christ Jesus. You don't need to get all upset or worried about things. So you may boldly say, you may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me? Nothing. Because you are in Christ, you are in God, and you are secure. Got it? Okay, I'm sure that was uh, worth the price of admission. Let's go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, please. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, we're still in verse 1. Paul throws out his customary greeting. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Chuck Smith called this the Siamese twins of the New Testament. You always see them paired together. Paul's always saying grace and peace. Uh, Henry Morris, uh, an apologist and a Bible commentator, speaking about that phrase, grace to you. Uh, the word grace there, well, the 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 normal word used for grace is the word charion, and it means that which causes joy. Um, he says it's a shade of meaning we may still discern when we speak of a graceful action or, a, or the social graces. 
I'm sure you've watched the Olympics and the gymnastics and you've seen the floor exercises and you've seen these young men and women um, gracefully do their routines. They're smooth and it flows and it's very pleasant to watch. It puts a smile on your face. Then there's the other kind of grace, which is the word here in this text, cheris, cheris. And that word means favor, kindness, especially God's kindness to man in providing for his spiritual needs in Christ. When you accepted Jesus Christ, when you received him into your life, he came to dwell where? In you, okay? You experienced cherish, the cherish of God, okay? You didn't necessarily feel it, although some people do. You may not have necessarily felt it, but again, it's the reality, it's the truth. And it was his kindness in providing for your spiritual needs, okay? Now that gives you access to the second part of the twin set. Grace and peace. The peace of God. You can't know the peace of God until at first you've experienced the grace of God. The word peace there is Irene. Irene. Do you know anybody named Irene? That's a beautiful name. Their name means peace. And according to Thayer's lexicon, his Greek lexicon, he says that Irene means the tranquil state of a soul assured of its salvation through Christ. So fearing nothing from God and content with its earthly lot of whatever or whatsoever sort that is. Isn't that awesome? He's got you covered. You are secure in God, in Christ. Grace is the free favor of God, and peace is the condition which results from its reception. Okay? Matthew Henry, he said, The peace of God will keep us from sinning under our troubles and from sinking under them. You guys know how it is when you're getting stressed out. You know how you react to things when you're worried about the future or anything else or when you're dealing with an illness or a financial setback or a hard relational problem. You know how you behave. You know how you tend to go, right? What we're finding out here is because that the peace of God is available to you, you don't have to go there. You don't have to go there. now. Romans 8, 1 is still there. You go there, but there's no condemnation. You confess your sin. He's faithful and just to forgive you of that sin. But you forfeit a chance for his peace to envelop your life. All right. So the idea here, like the idea from this little example over here, is to abide in Christ. John chapter 15, abide, abide, which means to remain, remain. Stay in the tub. Stay in the tub. Don't be climbing out with your attitude. Don't be climbing out with your intellect and your words. 
Don't express yourself. Stay in the tub. Abide in Christ and let the peace of Christ, which passes all understanding, guard your heart and mind. All right, verse 2. Here Paul gives gratitude to God. We give thanks to God always for you, making mention of you in our prayers. When Paul thought of the Christians in Thessalonica, Thessalonica, his heart was filled with gratitude, made him smile. It's like when I think of Avisa's kids and I see what the Lord is doing over there, it makes me smile. It's like when I come in here on Sunday morning early and see a core group of people putting things together who have been here year after year, and they're still doing it without complaining, and they're joking around, and they're smiling in there, telling me how I'm going to mispronounce words during the service. It makes me smile. I give thanks to God always for you all. Now, notice he says, making mention of you in our prayers. All right? Mention. That word means to utter a brief, thoughtful remark. Brief, thoughtful remark. Is that the idea you have of Paul when he would pray? Do you think he would be brief in his remarks about you? How many of you think that when you pray for someone, when you say you'll pray for someone, that it needs to be long and drawn out? And you feel like, you know, I, I got to say a few things, but I don't know what else to say, right? I have a friend on Facebook, Odin Fong, um, and one of his ministries of his church is to post prayer requests. He's got probably like a million and a half followers. And post prayer requests from all over the world on there. So when I go through my feed, you know, the postings, I always come across his postings, at least four or five of them every time I look, and I don't look that often. But I started getting really anxious about it. Matter of fact, because I knew I, I, you know, if I see it, I'm going to have to pray for it, right? And if I'm going to have to pray for it, what do I pray? I don't know how to pray. And I feel like, oh, I got to be obligated. I got to give it at least a minute, you know, at least a couple minutes, you know? And then pretty soon if I see his name, oh, I'll stop and turn it off right here. But then I started thinking of what I would have people pray for me if I were in their shoes. What would I want them to be mentioning to the Lord if they're having just a brief conversation with him on my behalf, just a couple of words with the Most High God on my behalf, my behalf, my behalf. <laughs> I studied Paul's perspectives. And as I did, I really don't see him praying general requests for people. I have cancer. I'm, I don't. I'm, this is a, an example, okay? I have cancer. Please just pray God would, would cause my test to come back negative. Please, you know, um, at least let it not be malignant. Let it be something that can be easily removed. Well, that's, that's a valid prayer. But there always has to be a caveat at the end of that kind of a prayer. You know what that caveat is? Nevertheless, not my will 
be done, but your will be done. You mean it might be God's will that I suffer through cancer? It was God's will that Christ suffered on the cross. All right? There's a purpose for it. Well, what is that purpose? I don't know. But there is a promise. All things will work out together for good. Because you love him. You're secure in him. You're locked in your tub, y'all. Okay? But I see Paul praying. I see him giving thanks. I see him praying for wisdom and knowledge. I, I see that he prays that they would be full of hope, that they would live in peace and in unity, that they would be strengthened with spiritual power, and that they would learn to abide in Christ, that they would grow in love for others, that they would be righteous and pure, and he prayed that they would overflow with praise and thanks to God. And then he would also ask for opportunities to minister to them, which tells me that don't pray for things if you're not going to be willing to be part of the answer. Now, think how different that is than our prayers <laughs> when we pray for people, okay? D.A. Carson he wrote a book called A Call to Spiritual Reformation, Priorities from Paul and His Prayers. That sounds like a great college title, doesn't it? He says, we should seek to find out exactly what it is he asks God for on there, that is the people he prays for behalf. He's talking about we should seek to find out what Paul is asking and compare the results with what we normally ask for. And when you see Paul's prayer, which would be that list that I just gave you, you find out that he's pay, praying directly for them. And he's not directing God in prayer. Do you see the difference there? God, heal Teresa. I'm telling God what to do. God, strengthen Teresa in the inner man. Give her patience and perseverance and endurance through this. And please, may your presence be sweet to her. Well, I'm just praying what he told me to pray in the word, so I'm not telling him to do something that he doesn't want to do already, right? And if I know that he hears my prayers, then I know that this is what's going to come on for Teresa, so I trust it. But who cares, Father, if it is your will? Please put your healing touch upon her. Take the cancer away. I have a handout. Did you bring it, Vince? Uh, Vince is going to put this uh, handout on the booth in the back. And this is a list of scripture with the prayers of Paul for people. Ten different ways he prayed for them. You take this list home, I encourage you to look these verses up in your Bible. I'm going to call and make sure you do, okay? Highlight them, memorize them, or at least some of them, okay? So that when you come to the place of bowing your head for that person who's asking for prayer on Facebook or here at church, you can just close your eyes and say, Holy Spirit, minister to me now your word. How would you have me pray for Teresa? If the word of God is not rich and dwelling within you, then you got nothing. 
except for what you think is right. But if you have the word of God dwelling in you richly, you will know how to pray for them. And the Holy Spirit will direct your mind. And then pray. Only takes a sentence or two, guys. As long as they are with thought and with heart, that's the key. Wait on the Lord, see what scripture comes to mind, and then pray over them. Say it, pray it, mean it. Simple, isn't it? Doable? Absolutely. All right, now go back to verse 2 and notice that he says, Our prayers. Our prayers. One commentator said the plural implies that all three missionaries prayed together. Remember what I told you at the beginning? He couldn't accomplish this all by himself. It takes a team. And here the three of them formed a team of prayer warriors. I don't know why corporate prayer is shunned by so many in the church. Corporate prayer is an important part of the life of the church. Just as important as worship, teaching and sound doctrine, communion and fellowship. The early church met regularly to learn doctrine of the apostles, to break bread and pray together. Acts 2.42 When we pray together with other believers, the effects can be very positive. Corporate prayer edifies and unifies us as we share our common faith. When we were having our prayer time, um, well, this would be a couple months ago now when this whole coronavirus thing started. And Sunday nights at six o'clock, we would begin to pray and we'd see all these different faces on the screen. And to hear their prayers, um, especially Patty, listening to Lou and Patty pray, man, it's just like, wow. That person has a direct connection. They know how to pray. And it teaches me how to pray. It teaches me how to pray with heart. And then you have Lou pray. And what? What? What did he say? The same Holy Spirit who dwells within each believer causes our hearts to rejoice as we hear praises to our Lord and Savior. It has the effect of knitting us together in a unique bond of fellowship. You don't find that anywhere else in life. And you don't need to wait for the church to do it, guys. You can set up your own corporate prayer meeting. I know you've heard of this app called Zoom. It's become very popular in these days, right? But for the sake of Calvary Chapel Arrowhead, I would covet to see a prayer team that would meet on Sunday mornings to pray before and while the service is going on. I yearn to see the screen of Zoom full of faces ready to pray to make a difference in our world on those times when we are not here at church. I think it's critical. Andrew Murray, you guys know that he's one of my favorite devotional writers. If in every church united prayer was regarded as one of the chief purposes for which Christians come together, the highest exercise of their power as a church, how might the church be empowered 
for ministry. Remember this guy. He's the one that saw the second great awakening start in his church in South Africa and spread throughout the continent and on into Europe. So he's got credibility. I long for the church to be empowered for ministry, to see the Holy Spirit manifest himself in power. Um, Tuesday nights, this is a commercial now, okay? I host a, I will be hosting a Zoom meeting for men's discipleship prayer group, 6.30 to 7.15. It's a good, what, 45 minutes of prayer. All right, um, if you want to join me, and you know you do, after, contact me via text or email, and I'll send you the links, okay, and passwords. Remember Moses, right? He went up on the mountain, and he lifted his hands up as the <clears throat> Israelites were fighting the Amalekites. As long as he held his hands up to God in prayer, Joshua overcame the enemy. But when fatigue caused him to drop his hands, the Amalekites prevailed. It was Aaron and Hur that came alongside Moses and held up his hands. It's an allegory, guys. The allegory of the role of praying Christians play in the success of ministry. Literally, they uphold the hands of those who are called to lead the fight in the spiritual battles of the church. Okay? All right, let me close this up with a couple of reflections here. Okay. Number one, <clears throat> what is essential is the sense of God's presence during dark seasons of questioning. What is essential is the sense of God's presence during dark seasons of questioning. When Satan in the world comes and throws everything they got at you, that's a dark season. Sometimes it'll even shake your faith to the core. What's essential is not the answer. What's essential is the sense of God's presence during it. Let me quote Andrew Murray once more, please. <clears throat> the believer must understand that he has no power of his own to maintain spiritual life. No, he needs each day to receive a new grace from heaven through fellowship with the Lord Jesus. This cannot be obtained by a hasty prayer or a superficial reading of a few verses from God's word. He must take time quietly and deliberately to come into God's presence, to feel his weakness and his need, and to wait upon God through his Holy Spirit to renew the heavenly light and life in his heart. Then he may rightly expect to be kept by the power of Christ throughout the day and all its temptations. It's a mouthful. But if you'd meditate on it, you would understand that God's presence is what is essential. Okay? Secondly, when you lack the peace of God, turn to your peace with God. When you lack the peace of God, 
return to your peace with God. Through Jesus Christ, you have peace with God. Whether you feel peace or not, it's a deal. It's done deal. It's a fact. Okay? You're not always going to feel peace when you go through dark seasons. When you come across something you just don't understand, you need to fall back on what you know to be true. Trust the truth. Now, what you feel isn't necessarily the truth. I want to read to you one last thing that's related to this. And I would like you to please just close your Bibles, close your eyes, and let this sink deep into your soul. I'm going to read to you Romans 8.31 through 39, and I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation, okay? What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or are hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? I mean, as the scripture says, for your sake, we're killed every day being slaughtered like sheep. No. No. Despite all these things, Overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels or demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Good stuff? Yeah? Guys, stay in the tub. Abide in Christ. Nothing can come at you. You're in God, in Christ. All right? Wonderful. Come on, Daddy. Let's, let's close this. Shall we stand, please?